media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You can open your Bibles, you can open your phone, you can look on, we'll have the scripture on the screen uh, so that you can ha- have that before you. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and ask the question, even though I'm a little bit hesitant to ask the question. Um, last week, many of you probably watched the sermon and everything in your pajamas, okay, and with, you know, coffee and donuts and all that kind of stuff, and that, that was really cool. This morning, we got to come and assemble together, and I don't know that I want to weigh those against, you know, you being in your pajamas and uh, the comfort of home, but honestly, guys, isn't that isn't it great just to be able to be together? Isn't there something about being together and being able to assemble together that, you know, as, as much as we can preach, and I love technology, that we can kind of use that, and we didn't have to have a, a, a week without being together in one sense, there's nothing that replaces the, the ability that, and the privilege and the blessing that God gives us to, to be able to, to gather together. So I'm just thankful for that. Matthew 28, this morning as we look upon... Um, these last verses of Matthew's gospel, we begin to see uh, uh, what is often called the Great Commission. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be really focusing on why do we do the things that we do? And that is, as a church, why do we meet like we do? Why do we sing some of the songs that we do? Why do we have a style of preaching maybe that we do? And, And why do we do these things? And for some of you, that's going to be informational because maybe you're new and, and you still are gathering that. Others, maybe it's going to be an affirmation of, of why you came and why you've been attending for years here. But as we begin to go through the scripture this morning, I, I want to make sure are those five different things that we highly value as a church, I, I want to make sure that we are grounding that in scripture and that we're not just kind of saying, okay, we really like this, this, and this because it makes us feel good or because we, you know, whatever the reason might be. I want to make sure that as we look at these five things that we see as, say as a church that we highly value, that they really are kind of grounded foundationally into what God has called the church to be. If you were to ask the local body of Christ as a whole, or any local church, or any individual Christian, what is your calling? I wonder sometimes if we have a ready answer for that. I think that we could begin to assemble an answer for that. But it's, you know, why do Christians do what they do? Why do churches do what they do? Why do you, if you're a Christian, why do you do what you do? I think it's a really, really helpful question so that we can kind of do it both as a test of, okay, are we living a life on purpose according to a call? Are we just kind of, you know, is this kind of just some faith or belief that we have out there? Uh, or is it even just kind of a check on the box that we put there and go, okay, I, I want to make sure that I got it right with God so that, you know, when it is my time to go, that I will be able to point to a lot of good things that I've done. Well, and again, that's not scriptural, just in case you want to know. Your goodness is not going to be a matter there, okay? But there's a lot of different motivations, and there's a lot of different ways that you could answer that both on a, a big level as just part of the universal body of Christ. Uh, we could answer that as cornerstone, as a local body of Christ, or that you could answer that individually. What, why do you do what you do? And so this morning as we go here, we begin to see this calling, this pur- purpose, defined by Christ himself. And um, 
It's also, it's known as the Great Commission. That's kind of the name that we've given it because Christ is commissioning his church, universal. He's commissioning churches, cornerstone, and individual Christians in this call. What did he tell us? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I stay, say this and I make this statement with authority. I'm not guessing here. I'm not just kind of, you know, this isn't just a thought that came to me. I have the authority to say this and I say it with authority. Uh, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe, uh, observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our purpose this morning is not so much to unpack this uh, as much as I would love to do that. I would love for to sit here for the next three hours uh, and, and do that because it is a worthy text to unpack almost syllable by syllable. But because of the purpose of, of kind of what we're trying to do, what we do, why do we do it, I want to go a little bit fast through this, and I want you to see the bedrock of it, the foundation of it. Because I really do believe that, and I hope that this is the foundation, the bedrock of what we do as Christians Universal, the church at large, the bride of Christ, Cornerstone Church, and I'd hope that this would really be a guide to your own personal walk with Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian. And, And so we begin to get into this, and, and I struggled all week, I'll be real honest with you, I really struggled all week of, you know, what are the, the, the right words to use here to try to use this comparison of this general nature of the call and then the specific personal nature of the call of this text in our lives. Because you see, this commission that God has, this calling that God has, has a, a macro application and a micro application. How many of y'all took macroeconomics, microeconomics? Okay, you know, and, and there's other ways that we can use that terminology. Macro is basically when we're taking that big approach. Just you know, you're looking at things at large. Micro, like a microscope, is when you're looking very, very closely. And this great commission has a macro application to it. It is a call to all Christians as a whole. If you are a Christian, this is at, as, at large the calling upon us as the bride of Christ, as the church universal. And yet it has this micro part of it, and that this really should be the direction of our lives. It's the calling upon our lives. And it's when we begin to see the macro part of this and the micro part of this, this large part and this very personal part, that we begin to see the beauty of what God is doing. Let me give you some examples you know, the, the, the businessman that's out there and, and he leads a multi-million dollar corporation, thousands of employees, very big operation. And yet if he's a Christian, this is his call. Maybe you have a, a small little operation and you sell a few things on Etsy. This is your call if you're a Christian. It's your call if you're an 82-year-old retired senior adult. And it's your calling if you're a 15-year-old high school sophomore. If you're a Christian, all of a sudden we begin to see the beauty of this, that all people who are united in Christ, in the work of Christ, that, that whether you're from this or that and all these different backgrounds, this is our bedrock, this is our, our calling. 
whether you're a pastor of a mega church and thousands attend, or you get the great blessing to be a church that uh, is intimate and a little bit smaller in nature, and, and you get to actually call people by their name, and you get to kind of know their lives. The purpose is the same. Do you see the macro? Do you see the micro? Do you see the application and how beautiful this is? To the Christian who's living in America, or Brazil, or China, Afghanistan, where persecution is happening left and right right now, this is our call. And so while these three verses contain so much hope and instruction and purpose, the thrust of the purpose seems to be centered, in my opinion, on verse 19. That's kind of the middle of where the thrust of what it's calling us to do. Look what it says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Some of the best sermons I have ever heard in my entire life, uh, I've heard about this going, and what does that mean? Some of the best sermons I've ever heard in my whole life is about this making disciples. What does that look like? What does that com- What is that comprised of? It's a powerful text. Now, again, I, I want us to look at it kind of on this macro aspect, but the micro aspect of it. The whole body of Christ, the church universal, united in Christ and his finished work, has been called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But when we break that down to the individuals, if you're in crisis, this is your call upon your personal life. And so it's something that we get to do collectively. It's something that we get to do individually. And this morning as we begin to see this, that the local church is kind of in that whole process also. The church universal, the local churches... And then the individual Christian. And this morning I want us to kind of understand the role of that middle section there. Cornerstone. Why do we do what we do? Why do we believe, for example, in expository preaching? Why do we say, okay, instead of this kind of preaching or that kind of preaching, this is where we're pretty much consistently going to go. And we're going to begin to look at some of those different things that God has called us to do. So let me share with you this morning, um, we have five things that we say as a church that we highly value. You may or may not be aware of that. Uh, if you've come through the membership class, hopefully you're aware of that. Uh, if you've ever picked up a visitor's, you know, little pamphlet out there, it's, it's there on there on display. But I, I'm really torn because in one way I think that we should take the next five weeks and look at each one individually because they're very much worth that merit. Uh, at the same time, I've already feel like we're two weeks behind on the schedule because of my sickness earlier and then not being able to meet together last week, even though we were still online. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two today and three next week and pray that God's grace just gives us a sufficiency to kind of know where we're going with that. Now, these five things, uh, if you have your bulletin this morning... Yes, they're there. On the back of your bulletin, uh, usually I leave all that open for you to be able to write, but they should be there during the notes part so that you can just kind of see those uh, in their entirety. Again, we're just going to do the first two this morning. But let me give you this asterisk, this qualifier. By saying that these are five things that we highly value, that we want to be part of the DNA of our church cornerstone? We are not saying three things. 
We do not mean that we're the only ones who value these things. Hopefully there's many other churches that value these things. Okay? Number two, we're not saying that we do them better than others. Hopefully there's a lot of churches out there doing it much, much better than we are. We're not even saying that we do these five things well. In fact, even this morning, as we begin to look at these first two, I feel like we couldn't really grade ourselves very well on the second element today. I don't know that we would get above a C right now of doing life together. And some of that is because of COVID, and we could give all kinds of different excuses, but I just don't know that we're doing what what I would love for us to be able to do right now, but we do know that there's a lot of limitations over the last two years simply because of the environment that we're in during this whole COVID thing. I believe that it's spiritual warfare. And uh, fallen things happen to fallen people in a fallen world, okay? But there's also this adversary that the Bible mentions quite a bit. And I really do believe with all my heart that part of the COVID uh, kind of situation that we're in that Satan very much is using that within uh, the body of Christ to, to keep us isolated from one another. Uh, if, if you have questions about that, I can discuss that uh, at length uh, for you. And then we can look at scripture that, but I really do believe that. But, so let's look this morning, okay, knowing that, okay, we're not the only churches that do this. Other churches probably do it maybe even better. And we're not even saying that we do it well. But these are things that we want to highly value. First one, expository preaching. I believe, I think that we as a church believe, I believe that our elders believe that, that we are best discipled as we learn from God's word and we see the beauty of the Bible as one story of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Because when we begin to see from Genesis to Revelation this redemptive plan, this God who's redeeming a lost people, it all focuses on one thing, Jesus Christ. He, he, he really is the Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. Christ is the center of all that. He's the foundation of that. And so when we say that we value expository preaching, we're going to have to get this from the Word of God. I'm still surprised, um, and, and please don't hear this in a critical, I'm not trying to be critical of any other church, but I am surprised when we have people that visit with us and maybe even uh, decide to uh, extend their attendance and become members here. They go, you know, the, I looked at four or five different churches and none of them were really preaching. Maybe they would read a verse, but not really expository preaching. And I'm still shocked by that, guys. I'm still very shocked by that because, okay, what is the value of a pastor's opinion or the word of God. I mean, what pastor really wants to be known for? Okay, here's things I think is kind of wise and smart and, you know, how to do life. What value is that? I'm not saying it may have a little bit of value if he's trained and it's based somehow on the word of God. But we really believe that expository preaching is really the primary way that we get to study God's word so that we can do a couple things, that we can keep things in context, that we can be thorough, that we can preach things that we're kind of uncomfortable with at times. I promise you, as we go through the different books of the Bible, it's like, 
okay, Jeff, can you preach this one next week? I think I'm feeling sick. You know, that there's all of a sudden, you know, you look at this passage and you're going, you know, I would not have picked that one. Let me give you an example. Uh, when we were going through the Gospel of Mark and they asked Jesus about marriage, and he says, you know, that we're not going to be given in marriage in heaven. There's not a preacher out there that wants to preach that, okay? Because we, we really don't grasp the fullness of that. And yet, when we're going verse by verse, we're going to preach that. And that doesn't mean that I won't know Carly in heaven. It was just marriage is not going to be necessary in heaven. And all I can see from my human mind right now, man, that's a downer. I, I hate it. But I will know her, and she will know me. I, I believe that I will know my children and my grandchildren. And it won't be a less than, it will be a more than. But I promise you, I would not have selected that text. Just go, you know, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Oh man, I'm going to preach that, you know, we're not given in marriage in heaven. That would not have been my selection. And so expository preaching makes us methodically go through and sometimes preach texts that we're not comfortable with. But is that as much the word of God as some other thing that we really like? Bless me, God. Bless me. Hey, can you preach that again next week? I like that part. And so we preach expositorily. The majority of our teaching is book by book, verse by verse. Now, we will preach like during the Advent season. We will preach a special series there. Every once in a blue moon, we will do a topical series. uh, And then I'll repent and get back to expository (laughs) preaching. Um, and, and we, guys, we, we have an appetite for topical preaching. I mean, we really do. You know why? Because there's something within us. Okay, Bobby, just give me something to do. And so, uh, for example, we do a marriage series. And if we just looked at that, the, the, the danger there is that when we just kind of take a verse here and a verse there and we don't do context, we don't get the context. And there's beauty in that, in that context, in that depth. The other thing is, it's really easy sometimes to come away with from topical preaching with a list of things for Bobby to do next week. Sometimes they can be very practical. They can be very helpful. They can even be very scriptural. But God's word, when we go verse by verse and we just don't hit topics, but we just you know kind of go through the entirety of the Bible in that approach, God is just going to show us context. He's going to show us the fruit of his word. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 2. Now, this is the context of this is Paul teaching young Timothy, who's kind of his understudy. He's a young preacher. Paul knows that he's going to die, that he's going to give his life as a martyr. And, and so he's telling Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, okay, these are the really important things. This is what I would want a young preacher to know. And so he's writing that, but now remember that as much as Paul is writing this letter, this is the word of God. Okay, so this is ordained, inspired by God. So this is really not Paul's word as much as it is God's word. And what does it say? Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, uh, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then in verse 3 and 4, I believe that he gives the reason why. He says, preach the word, always be ready to preach the word, no matter what the season is. And look at verse 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. 
they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths. Is that happening in the day that we live? And and guys, we can be really, really kind of uh, egotistical, prideful, and say, yes, that's happening, but, you know, but that's not going to be, in our church, it's not happening. Guys, unless we stay in the Word, book by book, verse by verse, and really, that's the foundation, I promise you, Bobby's opinion, your opinion, my opinion, start to get in there. And it is the Word of God and the Spirit of God that corrects our wrong thinking and directs us back to right thinking. Does that make sense? How many times in your own personal life, forget Cornerstone Church for a second, forget anything else, but just in your own life, that all of a sudden you get misdirected thinking and then you just happen to open up and you're studying the Word of God and God corrects you and directs you back to correct thinking. That's the power of His Word. Not the power of somebody's opinion. Not the power of what's going on in our society and culture. Please hear this. I'm not trying to say, oh man, culture just stinks and, and you know, we're, we're just the enlightened ones. No, by the grace of God, he's given us his word to direct us and correct us, guys. And we don't have to sit there and, you know, put thumbs down to the whole rest of the world in in the sense of, y'all are just bad people. No. Except for the grace of God, there go I. I promise you, even with the grace of God, does your mind often get misdirected. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Yeah, but God, you just don't know what she did. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Yeah, but they haven't even said they're sorry one time. There's no repentance in their life whatsoever. Forgive as you've been forgiven. And every time I want to make a statement of why this person or that person or that situation is different, and I want an asterisk in that place in the Bible that says forgive as you've been forgiven, except for Bobby Lincoln in this one particular situation. God's word and his spirit directs me back to the truth of his word and corrects me and directs me in maturity and righteousness. I want you to think for a second, where would you be without the word of God today in your life the last three, four, five years? Would you be corrected and directed in the way that hopefully God's word has? Hopefully encouraged, but sometimes even spanked a little. But all of a sudden when we have this attitude or we have this thought or we have, and, and, and guys, again, please hear what we live in a culture that says, but no, you're justified in this thought. And yet the word of God comes back and says, you're not justified in that thought whatsoever. I mean, does that happen in your life? That right when you're ready to take a stand because maybe a culture or the world that you live or even your own humanity says, I'm right on this matter, and yet the word of God corrects you and then patiently, lovingly, gracefully directs you and empowers you to do that. This doesn't make us better people. It makes us saved people because of the grace of God. And so expository preaching is where we get this. Uh, Here's another thing. We are prone to make, as humans, a God of our own making. 
Have you ever had somebody say to you, well, my God would, and then you can fill in the blank. Or have you said, well, my God, you know, would do this or would do that. And so we have this God of our own making. And somewhere in our mind, it makes sense to us. And yet, maybe then we get into the Word of God, and the Word of God, as God would describe Himself, describes Himself in a different way. Because in our mind, would you? I mean, don't you kind of picture a God that blesses good people and brings trouble to bad people? And then all of a sudden we find out that there are no good people. (laughs) But somewhere in our mind, because we're a little bit better, a little bit more gooder, for all the English people, I I know that's not a word, but go with me on that, okay? Because we do think that we're a little bit gooder, that, okay, God should be blessing right now. And, And it's really troublesome into our own mind sometimes when we see the righteous suffering and what the Bible says, the wicked are the, you know, the lost and they're prospering. King David had a real problem with that. Go read some of the Psalms. And he's just being honest. He's going, I just don't get it, God. These people are evil and yet they're prospering. And we're trying to do the right thing here. And then we just, man, one thing after another. That's when we need to be corrected and directed. It's when the word of God, it reigns on the just and the unjust. Not to appease us, but to instruct us and put us back under this, this uh, of just God being who God is. But because we are in our human nature, we make a God of our own. Uh, the word of God directs us because he describes himself. And while we certainly learn theology and practical things from his word, the focal point of the Bible is all about Christ. And so the main thing that the Bible is trying to communicate to us in this story of redemption is Christ and Christ in our life. And how to grow in maturity in Christ and Christ likeness. This is what Paul said when he wrote to the, the Colossians, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, him being Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Is that not kind of the hope that we have here? Of why we do what we do to, to be more and more mature in Jesus Christ? And so Paul says, man, we, we do this because we proclaim him. And how do we proclaim him from his word? There is a rub to, to topical preaching. It's very appealing to us. I mean, we really do like three simple steps to a better marriage. Is there a practical purpose for three better steps to a a better marriage? Yes. There really is. But let's do expository preaching and then let's draw practical things out of that. And then as we discuss and as we get this, disciple one another, all of a sudden the word will instruct us to guess what? We'll find three better ways to, to make our marriage better. Isn't it amazing that we don't have to dumb it down and we don't just have to have tasks? Because if you give me three tasks, guess what my focus is this next week? Those three tasks, instead of the sufficiency in Christ and enabling through his spirit to do the high call of loving my wife well. One of the things I shared with my discipleship guys, you know, uh, several of them this week or in the last couple of weeks is, you know, this call to, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I want to be very, very mindful 
that, okay, this isn't just tasks to do, but, okay, God, will you instruct me step-by-step how to do that, and then will you empower me by your Spirit to do it? And again, I know that all sounds mystical, but folks, either you're going to be your own power or God's going to be your source of strength. I mean, it's going to be one or the other. And so is it supernatural in nature? And it is because God will, through his spirit, his promise. What does Jesus say at the end of this great commission? And I will be with you always. What did he say at the beginning? It's by my authority that I say this. He is opening and closing the door with this comfort of it's under authority, and I will empower you. I'll be with you always. One of the challenges that we're going to have if we don't stay word, you know, book by book, word by word, expository preaching, whatever style that we do here, is that there's a strong human tendency to be meocentric instead of theocentric. It just happens. It's part of our human nature. And the Bible keeps us theocentric. That is God-centered rather than me-centered. How many of y'all fight on a regular basis Meocentric versus theocentric. And it's all about me. (laughs) Or is it all about God? And his grace and his goodness, he's given me life, and now he's called me into this purpose of his life. So that's the first one, expository preaching. I, as you can tell, could go on and on and on and on about that uh, because we highly value that. The second one that we're going to cover today is doing life together. And even seeing, saying this right now brings some sorrow and conviction to my heart. Uh, let me explain. I, I think we were doing pretty good a couple of years ago, and then all of a sudden COVID hit. I'm not blaming it on COVID. I'm just saying that it really has been difficult to do life together when there are things that begin to kind of push us into an isolating mode. And Carter, uh, COVID has not made it impossible. It just made it more, you know, harder and, and, and more difficult to do that. Uh, every time, even in our planning in the church, that we're ready to kind of step up to that next, getting back to regular life and, and doing life together, the, the, a new variant hell, or, uh, kind of gets out there. And all of a sudden, things are increased once again. And it's been very frustrating. Go ask any pastor, and he will tell you that that's one of the most challenging parts of the last two years. And I know that it's got to be challenging to you also. And so, um, so why do we do life together? Well, because the Bible calls us to do. Anybody know, don't show this slide quite yet, Jeremy. Uh, how many know approximately how many um, um, one another's there are? You know, like love one another, serve one another. Anybody know in the New Testament how many one another's there are? Just You, you can take a, a guess if you want. Anybody want to guess? hundred. Who said a hundred? Eric, give him the big sucker for today and the star. A hundred times in 94 verses. And that's in the New Testament. And he says, okay, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, confess sin to one another, tolerate. Do you know there's a, a Bible verse that says bear with one another, tolerate one another? Do you need that one in your life? Sometimes with just that right before the family reunion, you know, tolerate one another, bear with one another, uh, build up one another, speak truth to one another, pray for one another. 
hundred times in the New Testament alone that the Bible compels us that this is not a life of isolation, that this is a life that we do together. I, this is one of those things I, uh, I, I think that we're blessed to have a smaller church. Please do not hear any accusatory tone with that to a larger church. See, here's the cool thing, guys. Can this large church be doing what God has called them to do and this church over here be doing what God has called them to do and that we are doing what we're able to do and that because of size, background, this, that, and the other and just the movement of God that every one of us are doing what God has called that church and that group of believers to do? There's the beauty of this call. There's the amazing thing. But one of the things, I mean, I've been in the big church. I've been in the church where we're walking through the mall. Pastor Bobby. And we carry on a little bit of a conversation. And then my girls, are, our colleagues say, who was that? And I, say, I don't know. But obviously they had to come and, because they talked about last week's sermon. But you had three services. You have a thousand people. You, you, know, you don't know everybody by name. And then God, by his grace, brings me to the intimacy of, the, of a church this size. And I just want you to know what a blessing that is. That, that, Allison, that little Lucy can come up, and I know Lucy. And then I can hug Lucy. I kind of know what's going on in her life. And then when a little Boone comes along, then I'm like, hey, man, the boy's growing up. This is a really cool thing. But let's not... Let's not be accusatory in a church that maybe is reaching thousands of people and they're, well, they don't even know each other. If that's what God has called them, if that is what God authentically has called them to and they're doing that, can we celebrate that, guys? And say, maybe that's not for us, but as long, and then again, the caveat there is that God has called them to do that and that they are doing that, okay? Because can there be some really... Bad things happen in a small church. I mean, are you blessed because you're in a small church? No. Man, some of the, the unhealthiest churches I know can be a small church. It has nothing to do with size. It all comes down to this beautiful call. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And, and we get to do that kind of on a more personal level. And not only is that just attractive to me, I have to understand that that's a part of my human nature. I like that personal nature. But I really do believe that that's what God has called me to. And so if somebody comes to our church and says, y'all are kind of too small for us, I can bless that. One of the things that God has really freed me from as a pastor in the last years is that not everybody has to come to my church. And if they go to this church or that church as long, and again, I would want them to be preaching the word of God. I would, I would want these things that are, you know, that are just scriptural. But guys, can we trust the Holy Spirit here? And can we celebrate that God has called each church to a uniqueness? And now it's their responsibility to live up to that calling. Doing life together. We really get to, to do that in a special way here. And, and maybe you've been attending for the last two years and you say, I still don't so know some names and I just still don't know a lot of things. Uh, understand that there really has been this COVID asterisk there for the last two years. 
We're just not able to do life and life groups and some of those things like we normally would do. But I want you to know that we really uh, uh, value that. But just because you're in a small church and it gives an opportunity to do life together in a more intimate basis, it is not automatic. It is not automatic. And even if you're an introvert and you're going, man, I'm glad to go in there, sit, listen to them sing, hear the preaching, and go home. God has called you to do life together. You don't have to be an extrovert. You have to be at every meeting of something that goes on. But God has called us to gather and to encourage one another, love one another, confess to one another, all these things to build up the body of Christ. I'm going to close this morning and ask for prayer. Will you pray for me and the church leadership, the, the elders, the pastors? in this area of doing life together. I, I am feeling the burden that uh, of the last two years have just been this irregular place in human history, and at least in our history. And it's one of those areas that I really do want us to, to more and more be able to do this. Uh, I'm thankful for Radley. Radley started a new life group today with college kids. And, 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 and just thank you, brother. And as we start to get back to doing life together, that really is the beauty. Why? Because it means that we can know more names? No. Because it helps us to disciple one another. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples. If this is the calling, then this is what we get to do. Well, one more challenge. If you're here, you're a seventh grader, tenth grader. If you're you're out there and... Uh, right now, you kind of go to church by default, where mom and dad take you, or maybe even force you to go. And, and I get that. I mean, I really do get that, okay? But I hope when, that what you hear from today's sermon, if you're 11 years old, if you're 15 years old, if you're 19 years old, they do go off to college, don't they, Scott? And they do start to find another church, don't they, Tracy, as they go out there. And, and would this not be the hope that we would have? That as they go out and go, okay, what is it that I highly value? What do I want to find in a church? Because there is no such thing as a perfect church, but what, what do I start looking for? Where my friends go? This, are they preaching the word of God? Do they value things that reflect in this call of my life to go and make disciples and to be discipled? And that's what I, I would pray that you would take from this, even though it may be years and years before you actually have to make the decision or maybe lead your own family there, but that you would hide that in your heart. Okay, what am I looking for? Is that the closest church? Is that the coolest church? Is that the church with the pastor with the skinny jeans? I can assure you that's never going to happen with me. I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen at Cornerstone. It's just not going to happen with this pastor. Man, you're talking about nobody coming back the next week. Oh, wow. So a different kind of sermon this morning. I hope that at least explains a little bit of, you know, these are things that we're not saying that we're acing the test. In fact, and that second one, I really wouldn't maybe give us a passing grade, maybe with an asterisk in there that some of these things are beyond our control right now. But I want you to know that my desire, the elders' desire, the leadership's desire is, is that this is how we disciple one another, by doing life 
together. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, I, I hope that this wasn't just a technical kind of informational kind of sermon this morning. It's different from what we usually preach. Father, I pray that it is resting and founded on, uh, on this great commission, this call that you have given to the church universal, the body of Christ, to local churches like Cornerstone. But Father, that we would also see that this is the call that you've placed on us as individual Christians. And so, Father, help us to, to desire your word, Father, to be people of the word. Father, even if we're introverts, help us to desire to do life together because we know that this is a part of the way that you disciple us and grow us. And there's something deep within our soul that needs it, even when we're kind of shy or we can get overwhelmed by crowds or something. Father, help us just to be about the things that you've called us to be about. And Father, in it all, lead us back to Christ of what he has accomplished at the cross, Father. Because when it's all said and done, there's really going to be one thing that matters, Father. In big churches, little churches, churches in Brazil, churches in Russia, churches in America, a little church in Jefferson, Georgia. And it's all going to come down to your son, your redemptive work through him. So, Father, lead us to the cross. And everything we do, lead us to the cross and the sufficiency of the work of Christ and an empty grave. We love you and we thank you as we pray all these things in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.